Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Some of the earliest moments, I think it was just basically my mom screaming at our, in the house saying, come downstairs because the roof of our house was being bombed. That was like one of the earliest memories that I had. Hello and welcome to A Life in Dublin. I'm your host, Mark, and with your permission, we'd love this podcast to be your digital companion for the next little bit at least. In today's episode of the podcast, I was joined by Arbius from Kosovo. I consider myself an extremely lucky guy to have been able to sit down with Arbius and listen to his story. He has experienced true hardship in his life, but also demonstrated incredible grit and resilience. I'm not going to waste too much more of your time. Let's get straight into it. Here's my conversation with Arbius from Kosovo. This was in, this was three years ago, actually. Okay. Because um, during the pandemic, all everywhere else in Europe, it was locked locked in. Uh-huh. Uh, it was like from the US at that time, you couldn't really travel anywhere in, Euro- in Europe. And I- ironically enough, the only country at that time that still accepted American um, residents or, 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 or whatnot to, to, to come was actually Ireland. <laughs> so oh. uh, the, the joke in my family was that, that um, this kind of person who was like a second mom to me, she had Irish uh, heritage. And okay. the joke was, oh, she's giving you a lift oh, wow. to, to okay. find a job to 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 like not nice. be stuck at that time yeah tell me because listen we're gonna we, we talk about you're the first person i have met from kosovo and um, i remember as a kid it was the first thing that i found uh really shocking on the news i can't remember what age i was but i must have been i think it was 1998 so I would have been about uh, nine years old. So I was watching the news and all I remember was just these jet planes flying over and it was Bill Clinton, you know, sending over. And I'm not so in, like, politics is not my game and I'm not, I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about a human experience and a, and a, and a human life, which, which you've led. Uh, what was your experience of, of all of that and, and going through things like that? Yeah, um, that was definitely a challenging time for myself and then all the Kosovo Albanians during that time. 
Um, I think I had vivid, so you were nine, you were basically nine years old watching through a screen, uh, maybe three, four, I think I was three and a half or four years old. Um, on, on the other hand, with like buildings falling off, uh, people running away for their lives, like this kind of shock uh, and trauma happening. Um, some of the earliest moments, I think it was just basically my mom screaming at our in the house saying come downstairs because the roof of our house was being bombed so that was like one of the earliest memories that i had that i've had of the war because i was really young so i only remember fragments of of what was happening um and um it was quite difficult i think we lost during that period of time we lost everything our house jobs life um um and we became refugees. I became refugee, a child refugee. My parents became refugees. They had to leave Kosovo in 1998. At that time that, that you were referencing, and then we moved to Albania, and then from Albania to Italy, and then Germany. And like hundreds of thousands of Kosovars um, at that time, and we lived for some time abroad until um, NATO had intervened um, and uh, Serbia ceased to, to, to um, essentially commit genocide at that time and mm. um, they, they were pushed away and at that time my parents made the difficult um, decision to leave their opportunities in the West to come back to Kosovo. Okay. Um, and then I grew up for the rest of my, I mean, for most of my life, um, um, in Costco. Okay. Like, I, I can't even imagine, I mean, you, you were very young, so if the responsibilities essentially were, were, were on your parents. And as you said, you were, you were refugees and they were making the decisions, I assume, obviously of, of where you went. Do you know how how those decisions were made to go from Albania to Italy to Germany. Like, were they following other people from Kosovo and like following word of mouth and this place is okay and we can, can maybe get work here or, or how, did it, how did that happen? It's, I think the calculus at that time was like, where is safest and where is uh, a, a community? I think most people were, were going already. There was already a diaspora similar to Ireland having an established diaspora in the U.S. because of a famine, because of all the challenges, Kosovo's were actually systematically, unfortunately, oppressed by the Serbian regime and, and Milosevic at that time. So over the years, many of our intellectual diaspora, people who wanted to speak Albanian, write Albanian, learn Albanian, they had to escape, otherwise they were going to be prosecuted for, for, for that. So they, uh, the, the West was a refuge are huge for, for them to be able to practice and, and, and advocate for an independent Kosovo and, and for the people of Kosovo not to be oppressed. Mm. So they, the, the, the link was naturally there. Um, and then <laughs> it was it was mixed feelings because on one hand you had you had um, this idea of of uh, cultural identity and preserving your own identity is such an important factor. But then on the other hand, hand you had the, the difficult choice to bring three years, three, three children, me and my two sisters at that time, um, to, a country, to a country that was essentially destroyed and 
minds, landmines were still there. <laughs> so many of the authors were like, oh, are you like, are you sure you want to do this? Like you're gonna, um, so it was, a, it was a very difficult for my parents. I, I couldn't imagine being brought in that calculus. Like it definitely was really challenging. Mm. Um, this might ask, seem like a stupid question, but h- how did it affect your life? It, the waves of, of, um, of, the, of, of that situation, I think really changed, it really impacted my life and continue to impact my life in many degrees even today. Um, I mean, first of all, when you're that young, the, the, in, the irony of that time is that when you're that young, what you really care about is playing, uh, food, shelter, older kids. You don't, you're not even aware. You're like, oh, this must be a game or like this must be, this must be unreal, you know? So I think I wasn't really aware. I didn't have the cognitive, emotional capacity to understand where, uh, what was happening at that time. Um, but then as you grow older, you like have to build schools, you, 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 you go to school in quasi shelters, not really a, a school environment. Uh, you, you are faced with poverty, with looming poverty and existential needs, stuff like that, that sooner or later you're like, oh, if this hadn't happened, we would have had a more stable and more normal life. So it did impact um, my life and all the customers who, who came back to rebuild a, con- a, a country that was uh, like all the factories, 90% of infrastructure was essentially destroyed. Um, so really people built, staying in makeshift houses, makeshift buildings, makeshift everything. Um, yeah. You, um, I imagine, have a... So this is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, which is, you know, obviously a huge consequence of, of war. And I, it's something that I, I remember my father actually talking to me about as well. Um, my father used to be um, in, he used to be in the guards and the police. And he got to a certain point, how much I should be saying with this, but I think it's fine. But anyway, um, Years and years ago, he would have been involved in uh, what would have been like a raid on IRA training um, where they found, you know, children with, you know, being taught how to, to shoot weapons. And he always said to me, you know, that kid is going to have to make a decision when he gets older. Like that's a big decision for that kid to make. And he has to be a very brave person to make it because all of your family, your uncles, your aunts and you're, you're being taught a certain perspective in life when you grow up with something. Um, and for peace to prevail, someone has to make a very difficult decision because it's very hard to go against your family. It's very hard to, to have an experience like you've had and to not have very aggressive uh, or certain perception on other people. Um, and I don't have the experience. I don't deny anybody the right to have those feelings. Um, but how has it been for you living with that, dealing with that? I think in the human, in this universal human experience, um, I think revenge, unfortunately, always breeds more revenge and more blood. Uh, 
an eye for an eye makes the entire world go, go blind. And I understand the feelings of frustration and revenge at a deeply personal level. Um, but I think there must be a way that elevates that. And I think I had this transition where I would be so angry at at the people of Serbia allowing uh, such a thing to commence when I was really young. And then because of all the implications, social, economic, mm. life decisions, everything uh, that, that it had brought onto my family and families who had lost people dear to them. Um, but notwithstanding that, I think I, I have come to a place, and I know, observe it with many young customers as well, who have come to a place of, um, we want to move forward. Mm. And the way to move forward is that there needs to be a political and, 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 and leadership accountability. Um, and unfortunately, I, I observing what's happening in our in our border with Serbia, always pulling the lever of bringing the military up to the border, even if Kosovo is, is becoming a startup nation, uh, youngest population in Europe, actually, uh, I don't know if you know. So no. You and I are considered, we're considered uh, old in Kosovo. Oh, wow. Because the average is below 30. So it's one of the youngest populations wow. in, in, in Europe. Um, extremely like really highly educated quite open-minded grew up with with access to technology access to democratic values having a willingness and passion to try to rebuild a country from scratch from being um destroyed so having like a ownership uh, per perspective of it as well and i don't think i could observe in my time necessarily a, a need and want for revenge of course there's voices like that but I think the prevailing one is like, okay, how do we move forward and how do we uh, um, reconcile with, with what has happened? Of course, for that to actually happen, unfortunately, you need both parties, for example, Kosovo facing the past and then Serbia as well, uh, Serbian leadership. I don't actually blame Serbian people. I think they, they, the, econ the economy is shit in, in, in the Balkans in general. Uh, young people, young professionals are constantly leaving the region because of the socioeconomic challenges that we probably have much more in common with each other than all, all the countries. But the accountability has to come uh, from, 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 uh, from Serbian leadership to, to be able to say, hey, I, I think we might have we might have no we have committed uh, crimes against humanity in bosnia uh, for example already which is, is is another example or or in croatia or or in kosovo like it, there's multiple cases uh, like very well documented everything we have to take ownership and the only way to reconcile and to actually enable young people from both sides to live a more normal life would be to make that difficult difficult decision and be like oh yeah we have made this mistake. We have made this horrendous mistake, and, and, and whatever has happened, and we're willing to take ownership and accept accept that, and let you be free, and let you move on. Which I, to this day, it continues to be a challenge. So I mm. I do hold uh, Serbian government leadership accountable, uh, and I think we should hold individual government 
leadership accountable for decisions. And that doesn't necessarily mean that all people are bad or that all people necessarily follow that. But uh, yeah. <laughs> You said that you were, you know, educated in these kind of schools that were not a school. It was like um, prefabricated buildings or, or whatever it might have been. Uh, what were the teachers like? Because teachers obviously were adults who, like your parents, would have gone through similar experiences of living that experience as an adult. So you're saying that Kosovo now has one of the youngest populations um it sounds very positive in a way that, you know, access to democracy, to technology, um, startup nation, that's all very, very positive things to hear. That must have been the responsibility there comes back to the educators that were there, like really not long after, after the war. So can you remember anything about those people and the kind of things that they used to say to you to, to have created that culture of... Um, we can we can come out of this. There, there can be a positive outcome here. It's it's funny, Mark, because my dad is an educator. Like my uh, my family has been educators for for generations, um, and make one of the makeshift schools was actually our home in Kosovo. Wow! My dad would teach for um, like a decade. Would teach students because it was similar to Ireland, where the official language was banned. Albanian, Albanian wasn't being being taught in school. It was forbidden, and it was one way of systematically oppressing Albanian people. Um, in, in 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 Kosovo, in our village, in your neighbor, I grew up. My parents and my 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 grandparents they um, har- harbored students, and they would provide a shelter um, to teachers to be able to speak the Albanian language, to learn how to write, to read, like the extremely basic things that we take for granted, but it's just the hardship of, of, of facilitating that with like zero like institutional support or like actually in fear of institution, institutional institutions at the time run by Serbia. Um, I think really inspired many young people who came out the other way to see education as a way of becoming more enlightened and, and becoming more cognizant of your past, becoming more cognizant of who you are today and, and shaping the, the way forward um, as the ultimate tool in human, in human development that we, that we have as a value, I would, I would say. Um, and I think that the pursuit of doing that in this makeshift way really inspires people today, young people in Kosovo, to think of non-linear ways, like creative ways of, of getting to your solution. If, if the normal or the regular the regular path isn't paved, mm. your 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 father must have been a pretty incredible man. Yeah, he um, he he was one of the founders of the first high school in our village, um, and my 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 mom was um, the, one of the pillars of us of inspiring us to pursue education in in all in all of in all of uh, the madness of the world outside. Yeah. So you finished school at what age? Yeah, you, like in general, in total? Or, um, no, so you're at high school. What, 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 yeah, so I actually, I, incidentally, I finished my high school in the US. I won a scholarship at, at a young age. I was really lucky. I won a scholarship to go to study in the US, graduate high school <laughs> from, from, from the States. 
but had 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 done uh, two years of high school and then the third finally in the U.S. Most of my education is actually uh, in the U.S. Now. Wow! So then, did you go to college or university in the U.S. as well? I've done this really crazy thing where I have <laughs> gone to the U.S. and come back to Kosovo and gone again to the U.S. and come back like uh, zip zapping. Um, I did part of my my bachelor's uh, or college in in the U.S. as well, and then finished up my master's in the U.S. Okay, Here, like something that comes to my mind when I hear you work, when we spoke briefly about like you, what you were working in before we started recording, um, and does some part of it like seem kind of insignificant compared to things that you went through as a young person, and compared to like maybe the values and things that your parents had to fight for and, and people around you in your village, does does it all seem kind of a little bit unimportant? It's a, it's a, it's a tough one. And I find myself asking that as well sometimes, like all the trivial things yeah. um, of, of every day, like, oh, how many likes do I have? How many posts do I have? All of these things. And I used when I used to be younger, I would think, oh, it's so trivial, like in comparison to the real things. And I think maybe the I I I, I I'm taught by the friends that I spend time with that those small moments should be devalued because the small moments of every day actually make the larger uh, picture of life. Mm. So I I think there's a balance to be to be struck between. Um, acknowledging what really matters mm. and at the same time also not disregarding even smaller moments in life um, like I like my, 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 my parents would say like a co- coffee with someone is worth a million euro <laughs> well which I think brings brings home the larger larger idea of um, of human human connection ideas uh, stories uh, Opportunities being hidden in, th- in things that we as humans aren't able to see on at face value. Mm. Can you explain that a little bit more? Sure. Like, I suppose if you meet someone for the first time, you don't know their story. Mm. Like, there could be a janitor, but you don't know that they're a janitor who was a biochemist in the Middle East, for example, or had to survive X, Y, Z things, um, to be where they are today, to be able to feed their family and live a normal life. Um, We don't know that uh, unless you talk and you you are also willing to listen and and, and hear their story. But that could be a very incidentary moment, right? Like super, um, almost almost like judging a book by its cover, right? Mm. How do how do you go about learning people's stories? I find that... um... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. People respond to, to you best when you're willing to be yourself, mm. your imperfect self, your like true human self, um, which has... Um, all sides and shapes and forms in it. And I think that that enables you to have a proper conversation with people. By proper, I mean like more raw, more real. Um, but I think if you, if you choose to stay at the superficial level, I think that the person is going to reciprocate to that as well. Like humans, I think with all of the negativity around human potential and like blame and everything humans are incredibly intelligent beings and can be empathetic beings and can really reciprocate um to your energy as well mm. you seem to be very uh like wise and you have all that like is this something that you you had to learn to develop or is this something that's innately in you do you think and i i asked that because you know you, you haven't had an easy upbringing by any way shape or form I mean as you said you've been uh you've had you've had the luck along the way getting scholarships and things like that I'm sure that was obviously very well deserved and through hard work as well um but then like something that you just referenced that your your mother said that like a coffee with someone is worth a million euros or whatever it it's just th- that uh we should have such gratitude for something so simple as that that we just take for fucking granted like I offer a coffee every morning. I don't even think it. I expect it. I don't even, like, I, I want it. <laughs> you know, I don't need, it's, I mean, obviously I enjoy it, but like, how do you kind of hold all of these things together in your head? Because for me, that's like extremely impressive. I don't know if you've had to like really work hard on that. I think, I, I think it's a, um... something that, that I genuinely just am curious about, like the human experience and, and, and understanding the world better and understanding yourself better and our world and the universe and stuff like that. But also, unfortunately, um, I had a friend who used to say that rough storms make great sailors. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that holds true many times where like you rise to the challenges that you're, you're presented and then you choose you choose how to face them, and I think that brings some some form of knowledge or wisdom or or empathy, uh, maybe even more importantly. Um, and at the same time, I think, um, unfortunately, with um, with refugees being at the at the at the limelight of of all the conflicts in the world and challenges um we we view vulnerable people as sometimes unconsciously as less important and my story is of a person who was a refugee and um being able to have positive social impact in the world and i 
I want that to be a story for older people who come from different difficult backgrounds as well. Um, so that that perception changes a little bit, that there's power in struggle as well, that there is wisdom, power, and opportunity in people who have gone through um, tragedies. And as, a, yeah, as, a, as you said, as a person who's gone, uh, has been a refugee, maybe from your own experience, what would you have liked or what would have improved your own experience as a refugee? Or another way to ask that basically is, what can we do as people to improve, I, it sounds like it's a very stupid thing to say, improve the life of a refugee, but um, uh, maybe facilitate a, a better way for refugees. I don't, I'm not sure how to word that properly, but I think you understand what I mean. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, I don't know the right answer. Yeah. I really don't know. Uh, but I think what I come to know is that people want dignity. Like dignity is so important. Um, and you're uh, being a refugee is just one identity that you didn't even choose to be honest like I think no one really chooses to be a refugee like it's imp superimposed on that but it's an identity that prevails and is so strong whether you want it or not like maybe there's days where you don't want to be a refugee you just want to be um, whoever had wanting to have a conversation or a gig or a play or a game or there are times when you do need and want to talk about, about things I think having that kind of not being bothered, I think would come a long way. Like this idea of like, oh, like this is all the one, this is your only identity and there's nothing else. Yeah, you've been labeled as a refugee. Yeah, exactly. And I think that will come a long way of like saying, okay, you are like, yes, this is one of your identities and then there is more to you. Like, what's your story? Mm. How did you separate yourself from the label of being a refugee? I think I was lucky because I did well in school and in academics and that gave me different opportunities. But then I also wanted to, to, to kind of help in, in one, preventing something like that from, from happening to older people or playing an extremely small role in, in changing the mindset of how people are viewed, um, not necessarily just as vulnerable people, but also people with an amazing potential to shape society the way we know it in arts, in music, in food, in uh, education, culture. Um, I think there's this incredible amount of potential, human potential um, that I really want to echo across mm. for, for all the people. And they're like, oh, no, you're not just a victim. You're, mm. you're also a fighter. Mm. Absolutely. Um, this is the last thing I'm going to ask you about around this topic, but I'm interested to hear your perspective on it. Um, so I think that every word in every language has a story associated with that word. That's where value comes from. Like you have the word gold and the, you, you associate a story with that of like it being shiny, precious, hard to find, rare. That's what gives it. That's what makes it expensive. It's the story behind gold that makes it expensive. It's not the actual thing. Um, from your experience with the word refugee, what what is the story that you have felt people, how do people perceive that word? I think to a degree, maybe rightfully so, because it needs to be interpreted as helplessness. Um, but 
like like in a helpless situation, which makes sense because I think that's an identity that should come across like, hey, I need help, like, or hey, you need help um, to extend that. Um, and I think with opportunities like this one, or by by even us uh, placing some some sort of effort, we're enabling um, that story to be more expensive. Yeah, to be more. Uh, oh, I'm a refugee, but I'm also I piano player, or I'm I'm an artist, or I, I'm a musician, or a writer, etc. I'm a fucking person. Oh, I'm a fucking person as well. Um, like with human needs and human wants and desires and dreams. Um, and I think that's that's a place that I would hope we we move as a society. Mm. It's so weird, isn't it, the way we. Uh, as you said earlier, you have we other people, and that's what that is. It's like we just, it's like, it's like a real kind of fault of our our, our lazy, you know, brain system. We just categorize people and categorize things, and um, I think it's really like, as you say, it's education is so important. But not even education, being open to conversations, you know, like it's meeting people and seeing that. Oh, this person is kind of going against what I categorized them as, or they're not such a bad person, or actually, yeah, like they love playing the piano. I fucking love playing the piano as well. And yeah, it's, it's, I feel like we have so far to go. <laughs> um, anyway, how did you end up in Dublin? Yeah, so to, 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 to go back, um, three years, three years ago, I had this opportunity to come and work in, 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 in Dublin, in, um, uh, in in a time when COVID was huge, and I had just ma- finished my masters at that time, and I, to be completely honest, what I knew about Dublin, Ireland, what I knew at that time was from from one of my co- my uh, professors, who used to talk, who introduced us to Jonathan Swift's modest proposal, mm. uh, which is a really terrible, terrible, uh, <laughs> terrible. Um, portrayal of unfortunately what was going on with 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 Irish people at the time from from the UK from from the British people uh in in, in invading Ireland etc but um that was kind of my I knew very little about Ireland uh to, to to a fault at the time and I think it speaks volumes of the Irish people to have come to a place where they're um a sanctuary of opportunity for people in need like or want to advance their careers or opportunity like that's massive Irish people should be so proud of that yeah um, I, I see I no. see what you just did you did the Irish um, like mod, like hyper modesty in my opinion but you shouldn't be very proud of that I think yeah um, I think the, the vast majority of people are very happy to help unfortunately you know there's no perfect society there's no utopia and yeah. um, and I would hope that we can continue to to do things like that and help people. It's the what was, I mean, I spoke to you before this podcast about how I feel like Irish people over, we talk too much about our, our history. And, and I was saying how, you know, I haven't experienced those troubles the same way that you have experienced troubles. So it's not fair for us to even have, we're not, we know our lives are in no way comparable. Um, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying that I do that, but I'm saying sometimes, yeah. I've, but however, understanding that history and understanding the help, the opportunities that Irish people had all over the world, and not to to extend 
an openness is what seems a bit almost evil so i sometimes i think yeah okay it's great that we're doing some good but the opposite is doing very bad um and we can always do a lot better i think um but also i'm not involved in this and uh, there's other much better people who are involved much closer to to the refugee situation and helping people but i'm very happy very 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 happy that people can come here and make a life for themselves that is that makes me very happy um and i would hope and i would love if that can continue for as long as possible sometimes i think these things are cyclical like obviously it depends on the economy and everything like that as well and let's see how long that manages to stay in good shape i think being a policy nerd like i told you before i think what worries me and my observation in in living ireland with all of its incredible opportunities obviously i think i'm i can't talk about the elephant of like housing insecurity or mm. challenges with the healthcare system like multiple multiple public public and social ch challenges that um i as a as a as a um, stable like in a stable position in a good sector i i feel and i'm like I, i get really worried about my friends who are irish and who are worried about being able to see themselves having a life in dublin and in ireland um and i i i know i say this with a bit of a ghost too but um I, w i hope that ireland and dublin doesn't become too californized in a way where where the private multinational um, interest is put consistently above um, the interest of, of people wanting yeah. to create a sustainable life. I think that that's where more um, young people in Ireland um, should hold their um, policy makers and decision makers accountable. And in a democracy, we know how that works by voting for, for the people or Um, or change the um, the established uh, established uh, leaders. Um, so that that would be kind of my 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 call yeah. to to young young people who with the voting capacity to become educated more on the voting offers by each candidate. Yeah, and and, and hold them account accountable because some of these challenges aren't unique to Dublin either. No, no, I said you not. I said California because yeah, and the world, yeah, in in, in the world. Um, yeah, it's a weird thing. Like, I feel, uh, I think over the last 10 years or so, we've seen the effects of having apathy towards politics and politicians. Uh, and that's not so great, right? Uh, but I do feel like as a generation, we've kind of forgotten the importance of politics and forgotten how to be democratic. I've just been thinking about this recently because you have, um, I, I've seen things recently, I've been posted online about you know, how to make a difference in terms of calling for, for peace in like Palestine and, and the Gaza Strip and things like that. Um, and actually there are certain things that seem to be like, sorry, not making a difference, but getting the attention of politicians. Uh, nothing has been made a difference as we speak at the moment, but, um, and, and the people who are leading this called, are called activists, right? They would call themselves, I'm an activist. So they're, they're teaching people, they're educating people where to sign, what to say, etc., in order to get the attention of a politician so that we can try and make some type of change. In other words, if you're feeling really bad about this, there's actually something you can do. And it might be very small where you can sign this document or whatever. Um, but 
it seems like those people should, it seems like we should all be activists. Is that not the point of democracy? Yeah. That we can actually work, we all, you're, you're as a politician responsible for us, but we have, we have to hold them responsible as well. And as a generation, I feel like my generation in Ireland, we're very distant. We're kind of like, oh, they just, politics is a job. They just do their thing. That's, you know, I, I'm not even bothered voting. It's going to be the same result anyway. Um, but that's a terrible mentality to have because that will end up, you know, we've seen in, globally in the world of some really shitty things happening because of that apathy. Oh, uh, and I think that's important for people to realize as well that we need to get more involved. I'm speaking to myself here more than anybody else. Um, but I'm sure some people listening might be able to relate to what I've said too. Um, what, what's your uh, future objectives? Are you um, going to stick around here? You don't know? Are you, what's, what's the, you're, are you going to return to Kosovo at some point? I think I'm in, a, and I'm in an interesting position now, superposition now where um, position of change where I'm thinking of potentially moving uh, a bit closer to Kosovo because I think my uh, my uh, dream long term would really be to contribute in some form or shape to to Kosovo society to to the legacy of 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 Kosovo well being is the main gears are the culture uh, surviving all of these hundreds of years and, and thousands of years and I, I would love for for that to have a proper space in the international community so that would be kind of my my longer term plan um, and uh, I'm like deeply deeply grateful to have met Irish people with all of the all, all of the challenges that, that you have Irish, Irish people in general are incre incredibly welcoming incredibly open um, friendly to to foreigners uh, sympathetic to um, those oppressed which probably is linked also to the historical uh, consciousness and all of these things um, but there's a lot of things to be to be to be extremely um, uh, proud of and, and happy as well for an Irish person. Um, I'm going to finish with two questions. Uh, the first question is: I mean, I don't know, but maybe there might be someone because there's people who listen to this podcast all over the world. There might be someone who's currently a refugee listening to this podcast. Um, what as someone who's I mean, I guess if you're if you have been a refugee, are you always to a certain extent one or never one? I don't know. But as someone who has been um, a victim of of that, what would you say to a person who's listening who's in a, a refugee now? I think going back to what I would have said to that little boy or little girl is that. Uh, your story matters, and your dreams matter as well. And uh, you you cannot even understand now like the impact that your uh, voices and thoughts and feelings can have on the world. So I think that's something that I would love to re reinforce to them. And like, you can be anything. Like you, um, is it gonna be easy? No, it's gonna be fucking hard. It's gonna be the worst. Um, but you have value. Mm. We spoke before about um, you enjoy a glass of wine and, and maybe particularly a glass of Pinot Grigio wine. Um, 
your experience here in Dublin. I mean, you've literally, as you said, three years. Unfortunately, two of those have been more or less in lockdown. Um, but since things have opened up, where do you enjoy going for a glass of wine or a pint or a dinner? Or is there any particular places that you've grown a fondness for? <laughs> I have I have my friend Ayush here. And we, we always go to uh, O'Neill's. Um, oh, yeah, nice. My college green, it's, it's become a bit of our, like... Um, spot to go like every 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 weekend or every second year or whatever um and i think that's the beauty of, of dublin as a place it has the most uh, bars per capita in the world apparently um, doesn't surprise me yeah it doesn't surprise anyone <laughs> <laughs> and the, the selection is amazing the the crack or fun in ireland is amazing um people that you can meet are absolutely incredible so yeah like another another way to maybe not uh maybe a coffee isn't necessarily the one million dollar um <laughs> uh, thing maybe a wine or a beer is sometimes worth a million euro yeah and uh, thank you so much for sharing your story uh with me and for people who are listening um i always feel like this there's, there's we could have spoken about this for a lot longer and we could have gone into a whole other areas but um, for me, it was just, uh, I feel very privileged to be able to speak to you, to someone who's so wise, um, who's come through such a difficult time, who really has a positive outlook on life. And it gives me a lot of hope, having seen a lot of things that are happening at the moment, which are very hard for me to see, for everybody to see. Yeah. Um, to feel like that there is some hope for those people, it gives me a little bit of a, a nice um feeling and uh yeah i'm almost getting a little bit emotional saying that but yeah just thank you so much for for sharing your story thank you so much mark thanks for enabling the space to to be able to share my story yes hi guys i hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast before you go if you haven't already i would be beyond grateful if you could leave the show a rating review or simply share it with a friend those small acts can make a huge difference and i truly appreciate your support 